tonight we discuss fear. Roll film. Okay. My roommate, Emilicia, killed it for me. Um, so maybe you're like, uh, yeah, whatever, it's a centipede. Um, take a look at these suckers. That was in my home where I sleep, where I lay down, and I'm vulnerable. That was there. Okay. And if one wasn't enough, like two weeks after this video, another one. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, this guy. He was, pretty, he was pretty chill. He hung out on the ceiling for like 45 minutes while I waited for Alicia to come home and save me. <laughs> Centipede number two. I don't know what his deal was, all right? He was running up the wall. His back legs were sliding, and I was like, he's going to fall. And then he did. Fun fact, centipedes are the exact same color as the carpet <laughs> in our living room. <laughs> You can't see them when they fall on the ground. And so I'm up on, this, on the couch, right, the one that Alicia was standing on, and I'm screaming at her, and she's trying to find it, and she's moved to the other couch, and she's like, I can't find it. Come down here and help me. Hold the flashlight. And I'm like, oh, let me close to it. And she's like, get down here. And so I, like, have my flashlight, and it's not doing anything, and then I see it scurry behind her, and it went a little something like this. <laughs> And she goes, what? <laughs> I go, it went under the couch. <laughs> we found it. We killed it. It's fine. <laughs> if another one shows up, I'm going back to Arizona. <laughs> okay, so maybe you're like, all right, yeah, okay, I can kind of relate. Yeah, I don't really like bugs. Or maybe you're like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Chrissy's afraid of bugs. <laughs> well, joke's on you. I'm afraid of a lot of things, okay? <laughs> but basically, fear comes down to two things. What we know or what we think we know about ourselves and what we know or what we think we know about the situation. And so we're going to look in Exodus, chapters 3 and 4, since that's a lot. I will not be reading all of it for you tonight, but I do suggest that you read it. It's good. Quick background, um, the Israelites have been in captivity and slavery for hundreds of years, and our main man, Moses, has murdered an Egyptian slave driver and has run away to Midian, and he's hiding out, tending his father-in-law's sheep. So one day he's out, and he's taking care of the sheep, and he sees this burning bush, but it's not burning up, it's on fire, but it's not burning up like things do. And he's like, hmm, odd, I'm going to investigate. Not what I would do, but whatever, Moses. Um, so he gets closer, and then lo and behold, God speaks to him and says, don't come any closer. And then begins to tell him his plan to save his people. So, Exodus. Chapter 3, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That was God speaking, in case you didn't catch that. Um, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay. So God's like, I want you to do this big, crazy thing. And Moses goes, but God, who am I to do that? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if they ask me questions? You answer them, Moses. And so then God gives him the game plan. He's like, okay, you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to talk to the elders. You and the elders are going to go to the Pharaoh, and you're going to say, hey, Pharaoh, we want to go out into the desert, and we want to worship our God and make sacrifices. And he's going to tell you, no, then all hell is going to break loose, and I'm going to do some crazy things. And then they will be begging you to leave, and they will give you stuff on the way out, okay? So for us, a lot of times we're like, okay, I'm really scared about the future. I don't know what to do. And we think if God gives me an outline of what I'm supposed to do, it'll be okay, and I'll do it. And so that's what God did. So Moses should be good, right? (laughs) No. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Okay. Valid. I would be worried about that too. So God is like, okay, I'm going to give you some signs and wonders to perform, okay? He's like, here, take your staff, throw it on the ground. A snake. Okay, pick back up. Staff again. Cool. All right, now stick your hand in your jacket. Pull it out. You have leprosy on your hand. Okay, put it back in. Bring it out. It's clean. It's good. It's perfect. And he says, okay, two. I'm going to give you another one. In case they don't believe the other two, here's the third one. Take some water out of the Nile. Pour it out on the ground. It'll turn to blood. Good to go, right? Three miracles. Who would deny that? Moses would deny that. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And God said, Oh, my goodness. You're right. How could I have forgotten that this was something about, Oh, my gosh. Where's Aaron? Where's your brother? I'm going to ask him to do it instead. He's a really good speaker. No, that is not what God said. We can look elsewhere in scripture. We can look in Psalm 139, and it reads, this is chapter, or verse 13, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, it says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And Psalm 139, 17 through 18 says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So a God that knit you together knows how many hairs on your head and thinks about you more times than there are grains of sand, which I don't know if you've looked at a beach, but there's a lot. And you think he doesn't know those details about you. He does. He knows. And God tells him, he said, who gave human beings their mouths? me. He said, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, 
Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. <laughs> and there we see the root of it, the base level. Moses is scared, and he doesn't want to do it. He's thought of every excuse that he could come up with to try to disqualify himself and convince God that he was wrong. In Moses' defense, Psalm 139 and Luke chapter 12 had not been written yet. It's a long ways after this. But he did know God's character. So God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. And he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. So our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. And we approach him and we say, God, you are wrong about me. You don't know this. If you knew this, you wouldn't pick me. You would pick somebody else. You crazy? <laughs> yes, we are. We're crazy. See, with us, we're always learning new things about ourselves. We learn that we don't like eating crickets. Or if you're Joel, you do like eating crickets. <laughs> I will not judge you for that. But God already knows those things about you. He knows everything there is to know because he picked it and he put it in you. So where are you making excuses? Maybe God says, break up with that boyfriend or break up with that girlfriend that you've been with for two years. And you go, but God, no, we're growing together. He will become a Christian because I'm dating him. It'll work out. Or maybe he's saying, change your major. And you're going, but God, what if I don't graduate on time? What if I can't get a job after I graduate? Or maybe he says, move 2,000 miles away from home to do an internship with the campus ministry. And you think, what if I make no friends? What if I do a terrible job? Don't you have people there that can do that? <laughs> Newsflash, God is bigger than your excuses. Okay, so we looked at what we know or what we think we know about ourselves. So let's take a little look at what we know about the situation. We're going to look in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm just going to go ahead and read that for you. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping in a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So a few quick facts. The Sea of Galilee is notorious for very sudden and very violent storms. So this is, although probably a little unexpected because they're sudden, um, it could be expected because it's the Sea of Galilee. Also, four of Jesus' disciples were experienced fishermen. 
So Andrew, Peter, James, and John were all learning that trade when Jesus called them to be his disciples. So if you have these four full-grown men running around a tiny little fishing boat, <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to die, Jesus, wake up. It's probably a pretty bad storm. So there were probably two types of people on this boat. Those like Andrew, Peter, James, and John that were experienced and felt that they knew the situation. And they're like freaking out because it's scary, but they're like, okay, we need to bail water out of the boat. We need to pull this mast. I don't know. I don't know fishing things. We need to do the fishing things so that we don't die in the middle of the <laughs> sea. Um, and they were probably annoyed that Jesus wasn't helping. They're like, you're just sleeping and you could be bailing water with us. Then you have the other group, you know, Matthew, the tax collector, you know, and he's probably like, oh, my gosh, Jesus doesn't even know what's going on, and he doesn't even care about us. We're just going to die out here. And don't you realize what's happening? How many times do we do that? We're like, okay, I know exactly what needs to get done, but Jesus just isn't doing it. Or we're like, Jesus doesn't even care. He doesn't even know this is happening to me. I'm about to graduate, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Jesus doesn't know. I'm about to embarrass myself in front of 150 people on a Thursday night at Chi Alpha as a general, nonspecific example. <laughs> and Jesus says, do you have no faith? Do you not believe what I have said? When Jesus told them they were going to the other side, he said, we're going to the other side. He didn't say, we're going to try to get to the other side, but we might drown in the middle. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. He said, we're going to the other side, and they didn't trust him. I'm going to have the band come up and start playing, get ready. You know. um, I just really feel like I need that dramatic you know, music. It's the climax. we got to really do this right. God is bigger than your circumstances, your situation, your problem, and he's bigger than your fears. See, because we get caught up in looking at these things from our perspective, and in comparison to us, these things are really big. They're monsters. But we should be looking at them in comparison to God, because in comparison to God, they're nothing, because God is bigger. So take a look at your excuses. Like, really look at them. Look at what's underneath them. Is it really that excuse, or is it that you're afraid you're going to fail? Are you afraid that you're not good enough? Or does it just come down to the fact that you just don't trust God? Take a look at your situation. Are you telling Jesus what he needs to do in your life to get you to where you need to be? Or are you asking him things like, do you even care about me? Do you even care about what's happening? As if he doesn't already know. Since no sermon is complete without a sports ball analogy, here you go. I used to play basketball, which might surprise you, especially because I played down in the paint, which means you normally put tall people there. But I was there. I'm very aggressive. <laughs> So throughout that time, you hear a lot, there's this saying, well, for my non-sporty people, 
Offense is when you have the ball and you're trying to score. And defense is when you don't have the ball and you're trying to keep the other people from scoring. That's important to know. Okay. So there's a saying, and it says, the best offense is a good defense. Pile of crap. Really. If you, if you think about it, you can have the best defense in the whole world, and you can keep the other team from scoring anything, but you still won't win unless you score some points. You're allowed to feel afraid. It's an emotion. We are emotional beings. That's okay. You're not allowed to live in your fear and make decisions out of your fear. There's this Nelson Mandela quote that says, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. That's how we should be living. So get off the bench. Throw the excuses out because they're trash anyways. Trust that Jesus is not only aware of the situation, but he's going to get you through it. Make an offensive play. Squish the bug. Change the major. Get out of the wrong relationship. Get into the right relationship. Apply for the job. Take the risk. Face the fear. We're going to have a prayer team up in the designated prayer corner. And I'm going to dare you to play Fear Factor with me. But instead of making you eat disgusting things, you're going to pick something that you're fearful about, something that you're apprehensive about, whether it's graduation, whether it's sharing the gospel with your roommate, or whatever else it may be, squishing the bug in your apartment you know is waiting for you when you get home. You're going to pick one, and you're going to bring it before God in prayer with somebody else. So you can come up to somebody on the prayer team. You can ask your small group leader to pray with you. You can ask your friend to pray with you. And if you're afraid to have somebody pray with you, that is a very, very good indicator that you are in fact supposed to pray with somebody. Cover the situation in prayer and then act. So I'm going to pray real quick. Then the worship band is going to go back into You Make Me Brave. And you can all start praying and facing your fears. Okay? Easy peasy. Okay. Father, we just thank you so much for this night, God. So much for the fact that you're with us in everything, in every situation, God. That you never leave us. And that you follow through on your promises, God. If you say we're going to get to the other side, we're going to get to the other side, God. God, there are no excuses we can make that will change your mind. And there's no situation that is too big for you, God, because you are bigger than it all. So, Father, I just ask that you would give us the courage to take the next step, to pray with somebody, to have somebody pray with us, and to take that first step into something scary, God, because it's always worth it, especially when you're with us, God. And we pray these things in your name.